Yes, You're Wrong, the podcast where we talk trash about the things we love to hate and hate to love. And we're your hosts, Shelby and Matt. Oh, Shelby, it's been so long. It's been like three days since I I saw you in person. I know. How are we going to make it through this next dry spell between us? I, you guys need to come to New York soon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like maybe next. I mean, weekend. last time, last time we came to New York, uh, there was a whole like global apocalypse. So I don't know if I like feel steady enough to risk it again. You worried that this is all you're doing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The universe is trying to to get rid of us, and we just keep missing the the death knell. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I came and visited you, and it was predicting mostly rain, and instead it was sunny, and we hung outside at the pool all the time. So maybe I'm the good luck charm. You are. It was so fun. I mean, obviously, you need to come back because it's rainy again. So Ugh. Uh, whatever magic you were putting in the atmosphere, it is gone, and thus is my joy. <laughs> But uh, while I was down there, we recorded an episode for the Patreon. <laughs> yes, we did. We finally got Matt to break down all things about Big Fat Liar, which was interesting in that we were really unscripted and we were sitting face to face for the first time in our entire podcasting lives. And it was just basically like us talking to each other, like as we would in a face-to-face conversation and just meandering from topic to topic and forgetting we were talking about Big Fat Liar in the middle there, but it was it was a fun time. So, yeah, so you can anyone over interested there and... can, yeah, listen there. And then also we have merch going on, which I oh, saw yeah. in the in the flesh because Shelby was wearing it while I was down mm-hmm, there and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this, the t-shirts are looking good. Yes. We're really all age Q. We're, we're up to like this is really hot girl summer for us you know we're yeah, we're coming yeah. into our own <laughs> exactly i was like this is the year we're claiming it you know no need for other people telling us we've made it i'm just going to manifest by um forcing our hand at certain at certain steps other people take at a much different juncture than ours but we're here and we're ready <laughs> yeah and we also went back to the movie theaters, alive yes. and in person. Yeah. And um, I was worried you'd make me see Cruella, which I'm not necessarily ready for. And I thought A Quiet Place 2 would be a more fun experience. And I think I was right. I think it was made for the theaters. It was obviously one that had been canceled pretty much right early on because John Krasinski was like, this is for cinema and I'm going to wait until it's safe to go back. And um, so there was never, ever, ever any talk of it going to a streaming service because it's like, you can't really watch A Quiet Place, like, you know, like doing your dishes or (laughs) folding laundry. It it needs to be experienced. I will say that A Quiet Place 2 was less theatrical i thought than the first one the first one there was so much like we got to be quiet we can't say anything there was so many like long silent parts and for whatever reason that didn't seem like as much of a thing in this movie even though it it like there's not that much talking but it felt like there was there's definitely more more. yeah well one because the you know the character there's a new character who doesn't speak sign who doesn't sign and so he had to talk all the time and then the little boy <laughs> was having a moment and kept talking so it was a whole thing but yeah it was definitely like comparing the two it was definitely fun to be in a theater again but it was a lot less it was a little bit more rowdy than the <laughs> a quiet yes. place experience well, um including us chatting with each other as 
things happened and oh choices yeah were made <laughs> oh yeah i was like i was like okay someone yell at me for talking to theater yeah. like oh <laughs> no one's going to it was yeah. such a joy to be back in like a full theater because mm-hmm. i've definitely seen movies during the pandemic like last summer and then a couple this winter but it's always been pre-vaccination and sort of a try to go to the theater with the least number of people like if you (laughs) can see a weird screening that's just you that's what we're doing where this like it it was pretty busy there was a lot of people we had popcorn um it was yeah it was just like such a fun experience we were all like vaccinated and just ready to go also well, yeah, we were vaccinated. At least. Who knows <laughs> yeah. about the rest of the riffraff who was in there? But uh, I, I guess AMC is sort of like just automatically relaunching everybody's stubs things at the beginning of July. So yeah. it's like <laughs> if you're if you're not relaunching by then, they're just going to kickstart it to you. Yeah. But I don't think there's that much coming out in June except for uh, In the Heights and then Cruella, obviously. Yeah, June 11th, In the Heights. Oh boy! I think we have this. Then we then we circle back, hit Cruella next week, and then we get in the heights. <sighs> yeah, bada boom, okay, bada bam. Okay, two for three, two out of three ain't bad. So yeah, yeah. And honestly, <laughs> things are looking up. I've already seen Cruella because I had early access to screen there, oh, yes. and <laughs> it's it's not the worst Disney uh, live action <laughs> remake I've seen. I'll say that. Yeah, this is people's warning. So if you're interested in hearing us talk about Cruella, uh, you have no excuse to not go see Cruella, you know. So. Or pay $30 to watch it on or Disney Plus. Yeah, what a weird choice. But with A Quiet Place and this sort of, you know, hot girl summer, shot girl summer, whatever it is, um, it was kind of the the telling moment of the return to cinema. Like, could this do well? And the answer is yes. I was surprised, but this this movie um, debuted with a forty eight point three million in its opening weekend, and um, which I think is technically higher than it had been predicted even for its original release date of last year. And I think it's technically even better than the first movie did in its first weekend. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I did not look up these numbers, although I am seeing that the budget is 79 or it was 61 million and they've already made 79 million. So yeah, at least they've recouped their budget, <laughs> which I feel like for most of the movies that have come out during the pandemic, it's like, yeah, we're not oh, even yeah. close to making that happen. <laughs> and this is only, and it's only been out a week now. So I know. I mean, uh, John Krasinski's feeling good about it. Obviously, Emily Blunt's been doing press for it. And the word on the street is that it was called part two because it's a it seemed to be a chapter in a trilogy. So one more oh, coming really? at you at least. <laughs> There's a third one? It hasn't been officially confirmed, but like Emily Blunt has said a bunch in interviews that she and John always pictured it as a trilogy and that he was worried about calling it a sequel because then he would feel like he was selling out if it did end up being a trilogy. So she was like, oh, we should just call it part two because that implies like chapters rather than one and two, I guess. I I don't get the distinction, but congrats to them. Um, he supposedly has some ideas for it. So <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm kind of confused, though, because... I feel like 
I mean, I guess that there's places you could take it, but this movie seemed to wrap up pretty well. Like this, like the first one ended and there was definitely like big things that you could, it sort of ended like on a cliffhanger enough that you could see how they would easily make a second one. Mm -hmm. But this, everything sort of wraps up. Like, I don't think there's anything really left hanging. Well, I mean, (laughs) I mean, it technically ends on a, on a you know cut to black moment and um some of the characters are divided from each other and i guess i guess (laughs) okay yeah but there's the how do they get back of it all and um but before getting into that it's more just you know you and i were talking about like is it a sellout for john krasinski to be like oh i had this one creative idea but now suddenly i'm gonna make it two is it compounded now that he wants to do three or are we okay with it having seen both? I think I'm okay with it. The yeah. second one, I don't know whether I like the first one or the second one better. <laughs> I feel I feel like they were both good. Like they're not my favorite movies ever, but they're both very fun. They're both doing yeah. interesting things and yeah, I think a third one is fine. I don't feel like the first one was so amazing and then the second one was like a drop-off right. that you'd say, ugh, should have quit after one. <laughs> yeah, I think this makes sense. And I feel like they could easily make a third one that is a similar caliber of film as the yeah. first two without too much difficulty. Well, what's interesting about A Quiet Place and my my journey with this, this story is... Yes, tell us. <laughs> um, so... When it came out in 2018, I like went with my husband and a couple friends and it was definitely like exciting to watch, but I had gone in with all the hype being like, oh my gosh, is this an Oscar worthy film type thing? And like, mm-hmm. oh, John Krasinski, wow, is the world. And I left being like, wow, this was just like a monster movie, which I've seen plenty of. And I feel like it fits in the like good monster movie, but it didn't feel elevated in a sense that people were talking about it with. But I also found it like really fun to break apart because there are some like issues with it um, logically and with all the characters and their weird choices. And then on top of that, I ended up just not being able to let go of it. And I wrote this like article that's um, breaking down the toxic masculinity of <laughs> John Krasinski's character in The First Quiet Place, which was a fun exercise that I hadn't done since college, you know. And it, it still gets a lot of heat on my medium where people are, men oh. come into my mentions and are like, you dumb bitch. <laughs> oh. So you know you're doing something right. right. Um, mm-hmm. But I like, I enjoyed it in a way that like my husband who hated it didn't. And I could have fun with it even when I was also confused over why it was so praised. But also I felt my, I found myself excited for this one more, which I think we talked about on one of our roundups or something, which is that you liked the first one more and weren't as interested in the second. And whereas I didn't like the first one as much, but I was more interested in the second because it seemed more less concerned with like the quiet brooding like damaged goods of (laughs) John Krasinski's character and the like quiet introspective look at a family and what it means to be a parent and blah 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 whatever John was saying in the press tour about it and this was much more like cut and paste fight the monsters and survive type energy Mm and I'll say that watching this movie was definitely more fun than the first one even though the first one i think was a better 
a more interesting experience. Well, the first movie is very horror. It's very, you don't know what's coming. You don't know what the monsters necessarily look like. They're, um, you know, there's a lot of like jump scares and things. This is definitely less horror, more like monster action-y kind of. Yeah. Uh, There's not very many jump scare moments. Also, the runtime, I feel like, is shorter. It like moves along at a pretty good clip. For most of the movie. Yeah. So yeah. It's a very different vibe I think. The A Quiet Place. The first one is trying. To do more things. Where this I think is a fairly straightforward. Uh, monster movie. Because there's really not. I mean it most. It takes place over. What like a week maybe. A couple of oh, days. Like less. Yeah it's like two. I mean I guess there's technically time. That could have passed that we don't know about. But it. I think we've. We saw two, maybe three nights. There's not very much character development at all. <laughs> well, it's because it's two days. Right. But, no. But, but the I first mean, the character one... development is the is the prequel, the pre, the day one info we get, which is sort of what sets this movie apart, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. It is nice. We get an extended flashback at the beginning. And yeah. then do they sort of revisit that? At some no. point? No. It's just day one and then it goes back to day 440 yes. or whatever it was. And so it's very interesting to see sort of what unfolded at the beginning of this monster mm-hmm. attack that we mm-hmm. don't really get to see in the original movie. Um, so that was some nice like world building and background story, I thought. I honestly thought that that it was maybe the best part of the movie. Oh, 100%. It was, it was really good. And that's where... The tension was because obviously we knew what was coming. We knew it was day one. We know this ends badly. John Krasinski's character is there. There's like some nods to, you know, they go to the store where the little boy will find the spaceship and all this stuff. It was very War of the Worlds to me with Tom Cruise, (laughs) which I liked. Yeah, it it all unfolded naturally and kind of interestingly and seeing this sort of panic that slowly starts and then ratchets up as these aliens start to attack was definitely like the more compelling part like watching this movie but it also was funny to me because one of the one of my absolute absolute favorite parts about the first film is the like bunker room where he has you know you have your quintessential like cut out um, newspaper clippings and like the oh, whiteboard yeah. and <laughs> it, it's a whiteboard that has like these questions like oh my gosh why don't they why can't they be killed what are their weaknesses why don't they eat their kills and like all these questions that are meant to be compelling because we don't have any answers in the first one but my favorite is these headlines of newspapers which at the time I'm like if these monsters hear sound how is like the New York Times still releasing newspapers and getting them shipped to like small town middle of nowhere for this guy to like collect? And at the time, it was just like, LOL, imagine being that like newspaper guy. And they're like, we have to run it for the, you know, the histories. But in this universe that they introduce in the second movie, it really doesn't make sense because basically the meteor hits and five minutes later, this town is decimated. So... Why would there I mean, be headlines that are like U.S. military defeated? We can no longer protect you, and armors I, and fisher no choice but force declares. <laughs> I I do 
I do still have some questions on like where exactly these monsters came from or like yeah. what's the de- like how many of them there are like that. <laughs> yeah. like, we don't get into that really. So yeah. I guess technically it could be a situation where the monsters sort of like land at this small town first <laughs> and that like if this is ground zero and that they are like that in New York and other places, they are still functioning. But that does not answer the question <laughs> of how the newspapers then got to John Krasinski. Yeah. There's even like missing missing children, like missing family posters on the town wall, which is also funny to think about in the new oh, yeah. episode. Because they're all dead two. so yeah. fast. <laughs> it's like, who's printing these at home and like hoping someone in town knows what happened to, but, you know, the aliens coming but through. But I killing even... Them. <laughs> I mean, at the speed that they were just decimated in this <laughs> yeah. film, I was like, I don't think it's possible that John Krasinski's entire family lasts oh, yeah. that long. Like, they, yeah. if if this was something that was sort of a slow burn and, mm. oh, you know, there's a couple of them or, oh, you're hearing about them on the news, you could see people sort of putting together some kind of shelter and managing to survive yeah. the initial attack. But, like, they're in a car and I don't like. How do they get back to the house? How do they yeah. not get killed in those first couple of weeks when they don't have the sand and they don't have the <laughs> waterfall? It's like, where did they go? What did they do? None of that was. How explained. did they do all the canning? Well, right. And that's what's interesting too, is because the cut from day one to day two hundred forty or four hundred forty is the boy holding his ears and kind of like screaming, which is like a cool transition visually. But in the premise of that day one, the alien was right behind them and would have heard him scream and just come through and slaughtered them all, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I am still confused as to what exactly the point of the aliens are because they literally just kill people like they they're not eating yeah, them they're not, they're not it's like why exactly are they doing they're just this? like rabid dogs i feel like well because in the first one the the headlines kind of hint that a meteorite hit mexico and that's when it all started so built on this movie which again there's a meteor that hits like i don't remember there's someone on the television where they're like there's this huge meteor and there's chaos now And then they go on to their little baseball game and then another meteor hits near them. And so I think the idea is this like alien life form just like latched onto a rock and just went hurtling through space and and crash landed. And and maybe they're just scared little kittens just trying to, you know, panicking and not realizing the damage they're causing as they try to understand Uh, this new world they found. It's it it the monsters sort of don't line up for me because then yeah. later in the movie there's a monster that sort of like is a stowaway on this boat and <laughs> based on the manic energy we've seen of the monster the fact that it's just gonna like hang out in this boat for a while and not like attack yeah. anybody on it and be really yeah. sneaky it's like well that's <laughs> not a personality trait of these monsters that we've seen to date but well that's also something I thought would come with this one I thought we'd like. I thought there'd be a moment where they ran onto like a nest or something and we'd understand like what they do when they're not hearing. Oh, voices. yeah. Mm-hmm. And also how they can differentiate between a bird moving through a forest or like a leaf blowing in the wind. Because right. why aren't they constantly just macheting through space and time? Because there's always noise around them. Right. But then also at the same yeah. time, it's not like, oh, they can hear breathing or heartbeats yeah. or things because when people are still, then they just walk by. Yeah. There's a lot of questions about the monsters, but I think what what I'm impressed by with this film and why I'm a, 
why I'm giving it grace when maybe they're it should when you don't normally give this. films yeah. grace. Yes. <laughs> Is that it feels like like they all have love for the genre and it's not like a slap together sort of, oh, okay, we know how to get from point A to point B. Let's just do it. Like there's clearly, uh, it's a passion project for John Krasinski. And obviously there's some gaps there that I wish he'd do better at filling in. I don't think that's a strong suit, but he's, he's clever in storyboarding these, except the one real nuisance is that he's happened to write the most annoying children in cinematic history. I would say child. <laughs> the child, daughter, yeah. I don't think, is bad. I mean, the, do- the thing is, they should be smarter at this point, two years into this uh, apocalypse. Like, but they keep making kind of dumb decisions that end up, you know, drawing the monsters out, as it were. Yeah, the... It's always tricky with any storyline because if everyone acts super smart the entire time as you know maybe a reader sitting or in their home or a viewer sitting in movie theater can armchair their way through it then the plot isn't interesting so you sort of need people to make mistakes but then at the same time you want them to be realistic enough mistakes so that a viewer (laughs) can latch onto that and say okay well maybe i would have done that too and it doesn't really make sense that for a year and a half these children have been on fairly good behavior and have been taught (laughs) a lot of things and you would think that in this weird monster pandemic that you would grow up really quick and sort of become these hardened children who know what's going on and yet instead here in the second movie especially the son is making like poor choice after poor choice after poor poor choice that not only jeopardizes like him but also jeopardizes his mom his sister his ba the baby and really for like no reason oh yeah yeah let's get into like spoiler territory just so we can talk um because it really is hard to talk about this movie without talking about the batshit choices that sometimes happen but I mean, premise wise, yeah, it's kind of like t- picks up right after the first one. You you find them leaving their house because, you know, it's it's been burnt down, burnt down. And, you know, their husband's dead, like whatever. They're on the move. They they go to this old. This well, but OK, can we just fire, yeah. <laughs> if we're going to like nitpick at the end of the first movie, there's supposedly all these monsters running yes. towards them. And then the beginning of the second movie, those monsters are nowhere to be found. So yeah, they it's must have like, heard like a turkey and, and yeah, veered that way. Right, exactly. <laughs> Someone like shot a gun or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they're immediately they're driven to go to another like light that they've seen. I, I don't know, whatever, a signal fire that they've they have know they, someone's Have alive. they seen it before? Well, so in the first one Lee, John Krasinski's character, his silent brooding type, sits on top of the whatever and like lights the signal fire and sees other people light signal fire so he can tell if anyone else is alive. Oh, yes. So I think this one might have been a new signal fire, which is why she decided to go after it. But I honestly didn't understand that point because it seemed like such a weird, (laughs) weird detail that just felt like, you know, plot armor that they just had to. Well, then also, like, later on, there, Emily Blunt confronts Cillian Murphy, who is the <laughs> one lighting the fire. Like, how come you never came and got us or whatever? Because they oh, yeah. were friends. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm unclear exactly on what that situation is. Aside from, I think that Cillian Murphy saw the fire, didn't do anything, but then 
either. <laughs> then when they're walking towards yeah. him, then he does like. He does help I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it was. That's the thing. Is silly Murphy. But he doesn't help him up that much because yeah. he's looking at them through his gun uh, like, viewpoint. Oh, and also, the kid instantly steps in a bear trap oh, that yeah. he has just Brutal. floating around. Yeah. And I. Again, thinking about this more, like, would the bear trap have stopped the monster? Like, is that who the bear think, trap is for? Or is the I bear trap like for a person? I think it's like you try anything, right? I think I it was guess. for the monster. I think he set up the noisemaker so he'd be alerted. The monster would be distracted. And then why not throw a bunch of bear traps around? I don't know. I mean, the Cillian Murphy character is the interesting part. I I liked him as a character way more than than Lee. I felt like he was much less toxic and annoying to watch, but it was interesting. Well, he also had a lot less going on. He was just yeah, like yeah. less of a character. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, what was so frustrating, what was so great about the first one was um, Lee dies and Emily Blunt's character gets this big like moment to realize she can be a badass savior too and freaking shoots this thing right in the face point blank and then ends with that big moment where she looks in the camera like dead in the eye ready to face the rest of them. But then immediately she turns into this like simpering like mommy again and it's like you have to go save my daughter like I can't do anything you have to do it like who's gonna help me you should have come like you're a man you should have been here with Lee like all this sort of weird bravado again that I'm just like whatever girl you're cooler than they are so Cillian is up on the top of a mountain and so he (laughs) can hear this radio signal that's the song like beyond the sea playing over and over again <laughs> so the daughter latches onto this and believes that there that this is a this is a, some kind of like coded message from a colony of people that is at a radio tower that's out on this island and so she for whatever reason decides like she can't tell her mom or the guy about it she just sort of has to they, like leave they wouldn't let her go she knows that her family does not respect her which i totally own <laughs> I mean, yes, that 100% would have happened. But also, like, if she's going to sneak out in the middle of the night, she could have told them first and then snuck out. You know, it's not (laughs) like it's that different. So instead, she just tells the idiot brother. But then after she leaves, we move into this phase of the story where there's sort of like three plots going on at once where Cillian, where Emily Blunt sends Cillian Murphy after the daughter because she can't go herself for whatever reason. So there's that (laughs) plot of the two of them headed to this island. Then Emily Blunt needs to get one medication for idiot brother's (laughs) foot because he stepped in a bear trap and two, like an oxygen tank for the baby's (laughs) weird little like oxygen basket thing. So she has to go back into town to the same pharmacy that we saw in the first movie to get this additional you know, uh, supplies. And it's also crazy. I mean, I guess if they're the only people alive in town, then the pharmacy would still have lots of stuff. But it's like she goes to the pharmacy and it looks picked over, but it surprisingly has everything that she needs. And it is not that difficult for her to get If people were putting up missing kids posters, there'd definitely be some looting going on, you know? Right. (laughs) Well, and the pharmacy looks like it has been looted, but it hasn't been looted well enough that people are taking like rubbing alcohol, which you feel (laughs) like would be an early thing that would go. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that's missing is a ton of dead bodies because these things don't eat people. So they're just like yeah, decayed. Maybe on they the buried them or something. Yeah. I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah. But they're all three of them on their journey. And the little boy's journey is just to babysit the baby and to stay in their safe little, you know, silent retreat three feet under cement with a <laughs> oh yeah they're in this f- the so Celine Murphy is at like an old steelwork and there is a like a kiln or something underground that is airtight that they can go in but only for a, a few minutes and then they have to come <laughs> back out but the monster can't hear them inside and they're safe yeah and I so- mean that's the problem with moving from the isolation of the first one which is really just three people in a house. There's nothing to examine. There's nothing to explore. But suddenly they have three storylines happening here and they want to like mirror the tension in all of them. So um, the girl's journey with Cillian is like feeling like it's heading towards something creepy on these docks as they're trying to get in a boat without making any noise. Um, the mom is in town desperately trying to not make any noises. She's shopping for goods. And then this boy is just like, I guess I'm going to go explore this dilapidated um, factory and see what trouble I can get into. And boy, does he find it. Yeah. And really, I feel like Emily Blunt's plotline here makes sense. Like she goes to town, she gets the stuff, she comes back. Like, yeah. And I don't even like. Does she run into a monster at some point? Mm, no, just no. When she returns. Yeah. thanks to her. <laughs> so, so hers is fine, but both of the other plots are very <laughs> questionable. Because I guess to just to start with the idiot brother, like instead of just hanging out, he decides for whatever reason that he has to go up to the top of the furnace or whatever with his binoculars to look and see if his mom is coming or if his sister is going or it's really unclear like why he's going up there (laughs) rather than just wait with the with the baby but he does and then of course when he goes up there he stumbles upon like the long dead corpse of some other random person (laughs) that Cillian Murphy never bothered to move for whatever reason (laughs) and so he like screams and falls down and then of course there's a monster that's coming so then the kid has to rush back down to the kiln and then he goes into the kiln but he goes in too fast so the door locks behind him so he can't get out so it's like will him and the baby suffocate in the kiln or will emily blunt make it back in time to open the kiln door yeah it's got to be exhausting to be emily you know you're trying to teach your son to man up no matter how offensive such a term is and um he just keeps disappointing you left and right you know it's like he's it's barely been a day and you haven't been able to process your own husband's death, let alone the birth of your new child. And now you're having to pick up the pieces of another mess your child made. It's, it's pretty exhausting. <laughs> but as weird as that plot line is, honestly, I think that the girl's plot line is stranger because yeah. they are headed to this island. So they walk on this railroad for a while which they run into a couple of monsters but it's like sort of not a big deal then they end up in these boat docks and are like accosted by a group of sort of sea shanty individuals who are (laughs) unkempt and pop out of the boats none of them speak at all so it's it's sort of implied maybe that they're going to like assault her but we don't they have him entrapped and chained so he can't move without learning right. the monster. And then they just like keep making weird 
eye contact with him and they the like, girl and like and they take her, her backpack <laughs> yeah. but it's like are they robbing her <laughs> yeah like is there a reason and then also what doesn't make sense that you find out later is that like obviously there's a bunch of people on this island that's not that far away from the dock <laughs> so it's like if these people are hanging out at the dock you would think they would just go to the island where it's safe yeah. But then also They've been tortured like, by the world. Are Matt. they living at the docks? Are they just passing through? Like it's a very and also they have the whole plan sort of put together of how they're gonna kidnap this or do yeah, whatever like they're gonna do. So yeah, it's like are a lot of people showing up at these docks? I mean, I guess maybe they're trying to get to the island, but it just sort of doesn't really make sense. And the fact yeah. that all of these people would still be living in this even though the other town really had nobody and this town has a lot of people and they're just hanging yeah. out at the dock yeah Unclear. that part was definitely like the one that it didn't feel like it was done in good faith it was just like convenient almost they needed something to match the tension of the emily blunt and her son scene and there was this weird vibe of like oh was Cillian in cahoots with them like oh is there something like shady going on here but then it just ends up being this moment where they're finally on the same page they're able to communicate he's able to like sign with her and they have a plan and then they get away and they lure the monster and then blah 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 you know it's like but the thing is fun in the moment but it definitely doesn't hold up to to thought i don't think that i like both the plot line with the boy and the monster and the binoculars and the plot line with the girl on the boat. It's like you could have easily had scenes in those places where the same thing happened and have it make a lot more sense. (laughs) I feel like you just put one person at the boat dock who's like, I need food and you've got food or something like that. Like you've seen it, that sort of uh, thing play out in enough dystopian. Yeah. Yeah. That it's like, you could have done something and you just have it be one person and that's not tricky. And then with the kid and the binoculars, it's like there's these monsters just roaming around. You could just have a monster show up without having the kid have to be an idiot. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the kid being an idiot was really the part that was just like, oh my gosh, this is more irritating than any monster scenario I can think of. Like, I just hate the kid in that moment and honestly, forevermore. And then there's a big, like, emotional moment where he has to decide if he if he steals oxygen from a literal baby or not (laughs) which was just understandable in the moment but I think you know the kid bless his heart he was being asked to carry a lot of emotional weight there and it just it didn't work totally and it just felt kind of like he looked even stupider and more selfish and and dumb and and then when Emily Blunt finally shows up, she's like, what the hell, kid? Like, what the F was this? And so it was a lot that felt like it could have just gone through one more rewrite. But the thing with the docs that annoys me is that they tried to set it up because Cillian gives a speech about why he didn't come to see them. And he's like, you don't know the people who survived. They're not worth saving as if he's somehow engaged with them all before. So I wish there'd been some sort of tie in either more to that. So we knew he was worried about this doc or he'd heard about it or he knew them or something. But instead it's just like a, I don't know, walking dead episode where it's like, yep, here comes another psycho cult that has grown out of the <laughs> monster's shadow that we're not really going to fully explain, but then they all die anyway. So it's a non-issue. Well, and then the other weird thing is that you would 
when I was watching the movie, all three of these points are like climaxing at the same time. And you think like, oh, this is the end of the movie because there's so much tension. But then it's really not. The plot with Emily Blunt and the boy sort of fizzles and they are just like waiting around and then they get then they all get in the kiln and they're waiting for someone to come save them from this monster so that's like super dull but then (laughs) at the same time the girl and the and Cillian Murphy get on this boat and travel to this island where there is a whole community yeah Yeah, and people just like hanging out out. right yes because the monsters can't swim except for one monster has stowed aboard their (laughs) boat and so one no 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 it was a different boat just to be clear i think the implication was yeah they get in a little like rowboat type thing but the monster had jumped onto a bigger boat and it just became unmoored and i think the implication is that it just like fell asleep there or just like decided to mope for a little bit and it happened to just the tide carried it to the island like i don't think it was taking brain power for the monster to end up on the island it just did interesting okay <laughs> it was definitely a different boat so just well, to either way <laughs> the monster gets to the island then he starts killing people they have to run to the radio station because they're going yeah. to project the like piercing scream from the radio so then all of the monsters will sort of be like discombobulated so anyone yeah. who stumbles upon one can kill one yeah. and so it's at that moment then like she they turn on the thing at the radio station the monster on the island dies then emily blunt and them are able to kill the monster that's in the steel mill but (laughs) it all moves real slow at that point right painfully slow-mo long shots tortured looks it was it it felt like too much of an extension of the what they felt was the emotional moment of the last film. Okay. And they're like, we have to slow things down and, and show the pained expressions of every single person in this scene. And it was I feel lot. like if you got rid of the dock people and you just moved like just have them get to the island, then yeah. you could easily have the scene at the island where the monster's killing everyone there, time up with Emily Blunt returning from town and also the kid with the in the furnace and i think that would had to be the hero right he had to finally realize he could have courage right but like he (laughs) could have they could have still done that just really backload that (laughs) climax rather than have the climax in the middle and then sort of had it pitter out at the end yeah i feel like there's good there's a lot of good pieces going on here but like if some if one other person had come in they could have like sort of moved everything around just slightly and it would have worked better as a movie yeah no i think i think there was a little bit too much lingering even in a movie with such a short runtime and you can tell the difference in like the first act with that day one things are moving people are walking there's tension rising boom 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 Compared to the final climax, which is just just like five minutes of the girl going from point A to point B in a single room. You know, it was just like mm-hmm. it was too long that the tension kind of left by the end of it because you just all knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't like I liked it, but I didn't love it. There was weird loopholes and stuff in it that I. Yeah. It was definitely like fun. Like it was a fun experience. I can totally see why it's performing well. I can see why the critics like it. Especially post pandemic. It's like a fun movie to go see in the theater. There's nothing else really out in theaters except for Cruella, which is also on Disney (laughs) plus. And then 
there's really not going to be anything in theaters for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, aside from In the Heights, like you could see this movie doing well for the next month or so in theaters. So, yeah. I mean, what's interesting though is that this movie, um, this movie has a better review slightly than the first chapter. Really? I mean, at least in like, um, in like Rotten Tomatoes, in the in the audiences, in the audiences like cinema score, so the Metacritic audience score. I don't know about the Rotten Tomato score. I think it's sitting at um, at like a ninety percent though, so similar to the first one, but the audience liked this one more. I think that is a, <laughs> is a little bit of pandemic fatigue, you know. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. everyone's so excited to see this in the theater that they're like, "Oh, it was a hundred percent." Yeah, no, I mean it. It's definitely. I don't know if it'll hold its own in the way a quiet place. I think will linger as a beloved film. Um, it definitely doesn't exist on its own. You can't like enjoy this really without having. You wouldn't go to this movie unless you saw the first one, really. And it's like, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. I had a good time at the theater. And it was definitely more upbeat, I'd say, <laughs> than the first one. So there was like a lot more energy, a lot more movement, a lot more set pieces, like a lot more monster mash of it all. So I liked it. But it definitely was kind of like, wow, there's still some the, the stupid parts of the first one, like these gaps in logic that the writers and John Krasinski had as a director are only exacerbated here in a lot of ways. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I don't know <laughs> if there's much else that I have to say on this. movie. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is even besides the sequel being in the works, possibly according to Emily Blunt. There has been a spinoff signed off, signed off on, um, which will be unrelated to this storyline, but somehow related to the general world, that Jeff Nichols, who did Mud um, with, uh, whoa, what's his name? Matthew McConaughey? Matthew McConaughey. Is that, is that a apocalyptic movie at all? I, know, no. I didn't see that. Oh, no. That? It's like, it's just this guy goes on I don't need to get into it but the point is this sort of like Artur director is taking on the world with some sort of spinoff that he's writing and directing I feel like that makes sense every property that is a sci-fi property that has done well in the last 20 years they're like okay let's spin this off and we'll see it from (laughs) a different perspective I mean they've done that multiple times with The Walking Dead yeah. And you can see how, oh, it's the same premise, but it's in Los Angeles. Oh, it's the <laughs> same premise, but we're the military and we're hunting oh, down. Oh, it's the oh, spotlight directors, but it's about the last run of the New York Times <laughs> delivery guy. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, that I would I watch. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you just, they're like journalists want, and they're like, yeah. we got to get one more paper before we die. And they, but they're all just like writing it on paper because they can't talk. Yes. It has mm-hmm. to be quiet. Right. And then mm-hmm. they get to the press. They and can't like, use the typewriter. Crap. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. How do we write this? <laughs> they have to take their typewriters to like a, a waterfall yeah. or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is good. We should pitch this to Krasinski and then we can write and direct our own spinoff. Honestly, New York would be fine. They just have to blow up those bridges and they're good. <laughs> uh, you're right. You're right. Any island is probably doing great. And it's pretty rude. They haven't figured out radio at that point because... <laughs> People be waiting, you know? Again, the fact that these monsters can't swim, I feel like really... <laughs> well, there probably wasn't water on their planet, okay? 
they just well, well, no, I mean, it makes out. sense to me, but it's one of the, it's like with The Walking Dead, where <laughs> once you sort of realize the things about them, you're like, okay, this is a pretty easy system to game, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, you did get a whole speech from the Islanders who were like, yeah, when this first happened, there was a bloodshed at the docks and we're lucky we got out, so... So it could still be a, a rough world to survive, but definitely once you get there, it it seems maybe there's some options. You know, it's like Lee should have moved his family to live by the waterfall instead of trying to soundproof a barn. Right, exactly. So he made it more complicated than it needed to be, yes. Maybe that's why the people could live on the boats, because there was like water noises. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just creaking and the the creatures are able to differentiate between natural noises and human noises. I don't know. Interesting. Water is their weakness. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Um, I would say this is a now and a now later. Yeah, situation. yeah. It's fun. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I like having a movie that's like enjoyably stupid. You mm-hmm. know. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. It's my bread and butter. Um, um. Do you have any lightning round questions? I don't because I was just on a plane earlier, so I didn't okay. really have. Notes I have one for these. that's that we can end on that's really okay. relevant to you so okay. you write for buzzfeed yes i want you to pitch a headline for your article that you'd get out um you know in the 20th hour of day one before you're killed by a monster oh gosh let's see and it's <laughs> and it's a buzzfeed headline yeah <laughs> like, any yeah. angle you want you yeah. know <laughs> Well, Forty six I mean, images that'll have you shaking in your boots. Like. I feel I feel like it's I feel like it's like OMG, monsters are attacking. Take this quiz to find out how long you'll survive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you cut out to survive the apocalypse? Fifty six yeah. links to Amazon for your silent yeah. days. Well, yeah, like like the like these fifteen products are yeah. must haves for a for a animal apocalypse. Yeah. It's like a dry erase board, um, like mittens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pitch that to BuzzFeed. It'll it'll go well. Pick six bagels and we'll tell you which barn you should live in. Yeah, what waterfall stands out to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm excited to talk about Corella, though I don't think I'll have as much fun watching that as I did this. I don't know. If you're looking for like so good it's bad kind of a vibe, Cruella definitely <laughs> has some of that energy. And Cruella is more bonkers than uh, I think you would maybe think that it would be coming from the Disney live action remakes that are <laughs> well, usually Well, I heard bland. there's a flamboyant gay in it, so. Uh, is, is there not? Oh, someone went viral for being like, this ruined my childhood. Disney continues with its progressive approach to force feed me gay characters. Wait, <laughs> he wait just what saw one. Some, Some conservative, like, Republican... Uh, running for Congress or something, tweeted about how Cruella featured a gay character. Does it not? Did he I... just read into something? Well, let me think about this. Um, oh, you know what? The, I think they're the like the like fat. There's like a fashion designery guy who I think is something you know queer. Um, <laughs> well, that's that he felt threatened but- by it. There, there was not like a prominent gay romance <laughs> in this, you know. Yeah. At least not that I'm remembering. <laughs> well, Happy Pride Month. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll 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 uh, do we'll a deep dive see. next yeah. week. Yes. Yes. Watch and report back. <laughs> uh, 
Okay. Well, in the meantime, follow us on social media. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, sign up for our Patreon where we have the Big Fat Liar episode out and I'm sure there'll be another Taylor Swift episode coming soon and then also we have merch and we will see you guys again next week. Bye!